and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Coach Alex Van Houten is the owner and founder of two health and fitness companies, The Betterment Company and Defining Dad Bod. He brings 16 years of fitness industry experience to his clients, moms and dads who want to optimize their health through nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle change. He is the host of the five-star rated The Defining Dad Bod podcast to help cut through the confusion of the health and fitness industry. Alex loves inspiring everyday people to do extraordinary things by working to become 1% better every single day through his coaching and a membership-based app that he developed called Better Daily. He lives in Greenbrier, Arkansas with his wife, Kristen, and two sons, Gabriel and Bennett. Alex is a former co-worker of mine. We have spent a lot of years together working. Um, he's somebody I consider a great friend and somebody that I have learned a lot from over the years, and it is an absolute honor to welcome Alex onto the show. Alex, thank you for taking time to make it onto Boundless Body Radio. What's up, Casey? Thanks so much for having me on. How are things in Utah for you right now? Man, they're great. The sun is shining. It's it's warm. It's probably like a little too hot. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that you moved to Arkansas. When did you move? You moved from Texas to Arkansas. Is that correct? So I went from Texas to Colorado Springs oh, and then that's from was. Colorado Springs to Arkansas. And that move happened uh, almost three years ago now. Wow. So it turns out that if I wanted to have a second child, my wife's deal was that I had to move her closer to family. And she's originally from Conway, Arkansas. So I was like, you got it, baby. So we, we, moved <laughs> over, we, moved, we moved over here. And, you know, fun fact, our youngest is, well... He's a, a spirited fellow. I'll just say that. And uh, <laughs> there's been some times where I'm like, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe I should have just foregone that. And, and our oldest should have been a, a, young, a single child, but I won't tell him that. So he'll probably <laughs> listen to this That's podcast. Great. That's great. Well, for 20 bucks, I can edit that part out if you want. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> nice. I like that racket. That's good. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's the only way we make money. It's the only way we're monetized here at Boundless Body. <laughs> Um, I love, you are one of my favorite people to follow on social media. A lot of social media just really, I mean, frankly sucks. Um, but you post (laughs) the the funnest pictures and doing fun things with your family and with the kiddos, um, that may be a little rambunctious, but you guys do a lot of fun activities and I rarely see you wearing a shirt and I rarely wear a shirt. And the only difference is I think you make it look a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot better than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I always joke that it's the the vitamin D synthesis that I'm really after. But, you know, honestly, shirts are just restrictive, man, right? Like, isn't it fun to take it off whenever you can and go do stuff without being restricted in your movement? You're you're a past trainer. Are you still training? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people give us the most insane looks as we're walking around the neighborhood with no shirts and no shoes, just like totally barefoot. Like, we're just barely wearing shorts, basically. People look at us like we're insane. Yeah, our, our, my, my neighborhood thinks I'm pretty crazy, but yeah, I think they've gotten used to it because my boys run around without their shirts on too. So it's, you know, vitamin D for everybody in the Manhattan household. <laughs> do the neighbors uh, care about your chickens? I understand you're raising chickens where you are. We do have some chickens, man. We have four now. We're about to get six more. So that's really exciting. We'll actually have a little bit of a surplus because we eat lots of eggs in our house. But no, our neighbors don't mind. We got the the quieter breeds and you wouldn't even know we had chickens unless you jumped into our backyard. So a lot of them like to come over. The kids like to pet the chickens. Wow. So, you know, the, the neighborhood will, will come over. Can we pet your chickens? Like, yeah, sure. Here. <laughs> That's so cool. How are the eggs? Oh, in- incomparable. Like Man. the yolks are just robust and orange and there's like a really deep flavor. Like I'll go out to eat cause I like breakfast. 
So I'll go out to eat. Uh, I work with a lot of uh, men in our our local church and whatnot. We'll get together for breakfast or I'll take my boys out for breakfast because I enjoy that. And I'll take a bite of their eggs and I'm like, ugh, <laughs> can I bring... <laughs> Can I bring my own eggs next time? Like, is that a thing? Is, can you cook these for me? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I've heard it is absolutely like total game changer to have your own eggs that are farm fresh that are just like absolutely delicious. Well, and you know, they've got like half an acre to just roam and eat bugs and stuff, you know? So like they've got all the protein and all the phytonutrients they need and, you know, they're happy chickens. And so it makes a big difference to have the the quality of of the life of the chicken reflected in the eggs and I wouldn't I wouldn't trade those eggs for anything they're so good wow that sounds amazing we'll expect a delivery uh, any day now that would be great you, you got it <laughs> I, I'll support boundless bodies lack of of funding perfect. <laughs> perfect this is great keep the racket going um, so I would love to catch up a little bit and hear how you first got interested in health and fitness what was that like for you oh man. Uh, I can, I can do the like 10,000 foot view. I can do the like granular view. How deep do you want to get there, brother? <laughs> However you like, man, you're the guest. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I'll, how about I'll take the middle road there so we go. to make a, a long story short. I grew up in a fatherless home as the oldest of four. And I'm not telling this as a sob story. This is actually very related to health and fitness and my journey. And in that, in that space, fitness and martial arts and athletics were all a significant part of me putting myself together in, in childhood and in different ways that, that men were brought into my life to father me and coach me and, and whatnot that, that really led to who I am today and, and the heart that I have for my boys. And so fitness and my, my love for health and fitness actually came out of forging myself in those experiences, the the discipline, the accountability, the commitment that comes from pursuing your own physical betterment. And, you know, in, in my story, something I got to find out a little bit later in my young adulthood, I have a genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos. And so my tendons and ligaments don't respond the same way that most people's do. My connective tissue has a, a collagen disruption in the synthesis of it. So the to make that real layman's terms, you're not supposed to be as stretchy as I am. That's probably the best way to put it. Mm. And so that led to a lot of injuries and a lot of things that I had to learn how to handle, you know, digestive issues and, and issues with my skin and all kinds of fun stuff. And for me, the pursuit of betterment in my health and fitness journey is a is a direct indirect relationship to me manifesting my best in the world for my boys, my family, my community, and for myself, despite obstacles. And that is throughout my career in, in health and fitness. It's just been so powerful to be able to help other people do the same, you know, to you, you can relate to this as well. It's so meaningful for somebody to come to you for help with their body and over a period of, of months, maybe even years, depending on the size of the obstacles they're facing, to walk away saying, Alex, you changed my life. Thank you. I can't imagine where I would be if it wasn't for you pushing me on this journey. And so, you know, for me, it's a deeply personal thing, but it's also a deeply meaningful thing to share with other people. I love that. That's a great answer. Looking back on your childhood, did you, did you, would you say you got to have a, a normal childhood or was a lot of the responsibility and burden without a father in the home placed on you? You know, unfortunately, I, I wish I could say that I had a very abnormal childhood. 
but it's been the case, at least in the time that I've gotten to work with dads and whatnot, that many men grew up without a dad in their home. So I, I don't know what their experiences were like. I will say that I experienced a lot of things as a result of living under the poverty line. Um, the the trauma, victim mentality, uh, witnessing abuse and that that sort of thing. That's not necessarily related to the, the fatherlessness, but I, I would say that my childhood was marked constantly by the knowledge that I have a lot of things I have a lot of things arrayed against me. And so I need to do my best not to not to make it any worse. <laughs> so right. that, that would probably be the, the best way to put it. Huh, gotcha. Um, did you always know that you wanted to be a father yourself? Yes. Yeah, I couldn't imagine anything better. I uh, even even when I was young, being, you know, the the oldest of my siblings, I've got three younger siblings. One's two years younger than me, and the other two are eight and ten years younger than me. There's there's something about a loud, vibrant, happy household. And even though there were a lot of struggles in our household, there were, you know, families like this. You have those moments of of I don't know, intense connectedness and joy and gratitude. And you, you don't really, it's hard to find that in the world. And so I knew, you know, in my young adulthood, I was like, there's, there's nothing better than a house full of kids, man. And don't get me wrong. They come with their challenges, which we can talk about if you care to, but <laughs> I, I always, I always knew that, that I wanted that to be a part of my life. If we go back to your professional career, where did you first begin um, in health and fitness? What were your first jobs like in this career? Yeah. So I, you know, I was studying for, uh, psychology and chemical engineering at Vanderbilt university. I was the first in my family to go from high school to college. And honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. So mm. I just studied everything <laughs> and there was a, there was a pre-med focus there too. So it's, it's been fun from a health and fitness perspective to bring those, those educational pieces to my clients. Cause it's not just kinesiology, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot a lot going on in the mind and there's a lot going on in the, the mind body connection. And there's a lot going on in the, the long-term view of energy expenditure in terms of calories and entropy. Right. So there's, there's a big giant picture of the body that I feel like I've gotten to, to grasp through that education. But I, I honestly was a poor college kid and people were coming to me all the time for help. And, you know, what, what's the best ab exercise to get a six pack, Alex, you know, that sort of thing. And, I didn't know any better. You know, I was again, a young, poor college kid. So I was like, I should get certified so I could, you know, make some money doing this writing programs and training people on the side and stuff. And so that's actually where it started for me was, uh, you know, being in athletics through high school, being like a team captain and, and leading other guys through JROTC adventure training. We, we grew up in a military town there. So in Clarksville, Tennessee. So that was a part of who I was. And I was like, oh, well, I should, I should be able to make money doing this while I'm studying to make money doing something else. <laughs> wow. So that's actually where, where it started for me. Wow. What were some of the challenges you faced early on uh, in the career? Uh, I mean, they're paramount, as you know. So uh, one, of the, one of the biggest challenges in training or health and fitness, let's say, I, let's say I'm the best trainer in the world. I'm not. But let's say I'm the best trainer in the world, right? What is really difficult is being the best at coaching somebody in proper movement, intelligent nutrition, lifestyle change and behavioral modification, being the best at those things does not teach you anything about running a business. And so from a marketing and sales and all the, that 
perspective, it's it was very difficult at first as a trainer to to grow from a business perspective. You know, you could do the best you could by somebody and they could have life-changing results, but it's not like the whole world's lining up at your table to get, you know, to get to work with you unless you present that that business well and and do it in a high integrity way. I particularly struggled with sales. I hated I hated the idea of sitting down with somebody and knowing that my goal in this session was to manipulate it such that they would purchase something from me. I hated that. I like all I wanted to do was help them get better. Like that's what I wanted to do. And at the end of it, I wish it was just like I'll see you next week, you know, uh, click the link and and pay the bill and I'll I'll see you when you get here. Like I didn't want to mess with that at all. I just wanted to deal with the 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 process of betterment. That's what my heart was about. So it took me a long time to figure out how to manage that in a high integrity way and uh, to do it in a way that, that also set the program up well for the relationship between my client and I, that was a huge struggle. Yeah. That's a great point. That really surprised me too. Honestly, I hated that part as well. I don't think, I don't think a lot of people that you and I sat in front of knew that that personal training is really, it's a hundred percent commission job. You're, you're, ass is really on the line. And it's very highly competitive. You have, you know, depending on the gym could be 30, 40, 50 other personal trainers who are all hungry and trying to get their clients. Like that part of it is very difficult. And what you're trying to do is, is help people. You're right. Like, so it's kind of awkward, puts you in a weird space of like, this is, it is. (laughs) Sorry. I I was going to add, you know, I, I use this analogy when I was teaching trainers, because at, at a certain point in my career, I was working for a larger corporation and helping trainers be successful in the space. And one of the things that I I talked about to frame the problem was like, imagine that you go to the doctor and the doctor not only has to convince you that this therapy or this procedure is necessary, but they also have to convince you that you need to spend this amount of money on it. And they don't do that. They don't do that at all. They say, hey, you need to take this medication. Hey, you need to have a knee replacement. Hey, you need to do this. And, And you're like, okay, that sounds good. And so they set the referral appointment. You don't get the bill until like two months later. You know, nobody ever talks price. Nobody is ever talking to you about what it's going to cost to take you from point A to point B uh, in this process and, you know, wrestling with insurance and all that stuff. And I'm not saying a doctor should have to do that, but that's the position that a trainer is in. All they want to do, if they're a good trainer or a good coach, all they want to do is, is make you better at what it is that you're trying to get better at. But they also have to convince you that the cost is worth it. And they have to present that with, you know, the overhead of their company sitting over them. And so it's a very difficult space to navigate. Mm, Yeah, that's a really good point. Were you surprised also by how much um, like people skills played into things and how much therapy you would end up doing? (laughs) (laughs) You know, kind of my, my background in psychology and my, my, I like to say that my family puts the funk in dysfunctional and I can leave it at that unless you want to dive into it. But I wasn't surprised at I wasn't surprised at how all-encompassing a fitness journey would be. You know, I'm sure you've had this experience. People tell you things well in between sets of leg press that they don't tell their spouse. And it's it's kind of mind-blowing, you know, kind of like being a hairdresser almost. Like <laughs> you're like, why are you telling me this? So it took me some years, probably took me about a decade before not only did I become comfortable with that, you know, some, some lady and I having a great conversation on the fitness floor, she's going through menopause, maybe her hormones are in a really rough spot and she breaks down crying on the fitness floor. My knee jerk response 
personality wise is like, what the heck is wrong with this girl? But it took me some time before that was a comfortable place for me to be in that I could create space for somebody and, and help them navigate through what, what I call carrying your cross, which is the, and it's not just me, those are Jesus's words, but the, the, process by which you are physically becoming stronger is also a process by which you're becoming mentally and spiritually stronger. And there's a lot of baggage wrapped up in that. So uh, it wasn't surprising to me, actually called me deeper into it. It it felt like it was more meaningful than just getting better at deadlifts or getting better at pushups or whatever. It felt like, Hey, I, if I develop this, if I cultivate this, if I can, if I can do this well for other people, then I can, you know, benefit their lives in places that are far beyond the, these gym walls. And it, it brought a lot of meaning to my work to, to think of it that way. Hmm, I love that. Yeah. I just think in every like, you know, initial consultation I do with somebody in the back of my mind, it's like, if you choose to work with me, you're going to work with me for far longer than you think. And we're going to become way, way closer than, than you think you will with me. And I just, I just kind of know that from doing this over the years, but it, that part really surprised me in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And when I started my own business, that was actually something I incorporated into the business. It was like, look, if we're not going to work together for at least six months, then there's no reason for us to keep talking. Um, mm. Really? Like, because, because at the end of the day, what I'm good at, and I'm not saying there aren't, aren't trainers out there who, you know, should work with people for 20 days or more or whatever. But what I am saying is what I am good at and what I've, what I've done in my practice and what I've done with, with my clients is, problems that are big enough to require six months or more to manage, you know, somebody comes and they, they want to lose 10 pounds. It's not that easy. Some, you know, for some people it's like, <laughs> I need to lose 10 pounds. Like, okay, great. And you could just like fast for three days and you'd lose 10 pounds and there you go. But that's not what they're talking about. Most people, when they come, come to me and they're, they're coming from a postpartum perspective, for instance, I just finished, uh, finish signing a new client who's coming to me from a postpartum perspective, her entire history is, is not just like, I would like to get back to my pre-baby body. It's like, Hey, I'm 30 years old and my back's kind of like a 60 year old. I have degenerated discs because of riding horses for a decade in my, my younger years, but also I'm sleep deprived because I'm also a working mom. And I have some things I need to manage with my husband that are affecting my, my stress and my nutrition. And there's some things I'm, I need to manage with my family because there's all this stuff going on. That's affecting the way that you know, I can't even eat until 3 PM in the day because of all the things that are not just going through my head, but, but, you know, keeping me on the go. And that sort of problem is not just 10 pounds. When you dig into it, it's not 10 pounds, it's pain, it's familial interaction, it's social support, it's sleep and stress management, it's hormones. There's like this giant dragon in the background of the 10 pounds. And that is what I like to help people manage because when it comes to things like, you know, weight loss, and if you're listening to this and you only need to lose 10 pounds, I'm not making fun of you, but it's, there's, there's usually more to it than just the superficial physical difference that somebody's trying to make. It's a, you know, the 10 pounds weighs more than 10 pounds. The cross that you're Mm. carrying because of the 10 pounds is more than 10 pounds. So that that's been my experience. And so I I like to try to be upfront with people and explain, look, if, if your problem isn't that big, great. Like there's probably somewhere, somewhere else you can find help with what you're managing. You know, my fitness pal is a great way to manage your macros. (laughs) You don't need me for that. Mm. You know, you know, you can, you can Google great chest workout. You don't need me for that. 
but if you are dealing with a dragon from a physical perspective, maybe even something that mentally and spiritually is, is taxing and difficult and heavy to carry, then I'm your guy. And that's, that's what we can do together. Mm, I love that. That's so well explained. You almost have to continue asking the question of why, because without it, you don't really get to those root issues. And how many people have you seen over the years where they were striving for one goal? Maybe it was a bodybuilding show. Maybe it was a marathon. Maybe it was something. And they just, they were striving so hard for this one goal and that day comes and then it goes and that's, that's it. It's like, it's over. And they didn't realize like the purpose was not that one event. It was the whole journey to get there. And you're not one iota happier having accomplished this goal that you thought was going to, you know, be this joy in your life. Like, but for the most part, most other people don't care that you did that and you're not, you're not happier for it. So I think it's so important to consider the motivation and why you're trying to do those things. Yeah. And one of the things I, I stole this from Jordan Peterson, I feel like it's a really good way to frame things. Uh, one of the things that I do in my initial consultations to kind of dig into this, because as a personal trainer, I was taught to ask why, you know, dig at least five deep and try to find that, you know, Simon Sinek concentric circle of, of motivation. Right. But one of the things I found is that that could lead you in a bunch of different places that, that weren't exactly the, the depth of motivation. And so what I started doing with clients is, I started asking them in our our first time together, describe for me your vision of heaven a year from now. If we did everything right, if we did everything right, whatever that means, what's different about your life a year from now that you can't say right now? And, And I have them draw that word picture or maybe even draw that picture and then ask them to describe what hell looks like. Let's say you don't do anything or you do everything wrong. (laughs) So fast forward a year from now, what's life look like then? What's hell look like to you? And what's powerful about that is, is people generally don't describe their body composition in a question like that. They describe their health. They describe their levels of energy. They describe their, their happy family and the things that they can do, their lack of pain, uh, their, their improved enjoyment and fulfillment in their work, that sort of thing. And on the, the health perspective, they're not describing, you know, I'm, I'm fat and my pants don't fit. They're describing health issues and dying of a heart attack and having, you know, crummy testosterone and not being able to show up happy with their wife in bed, you know, that sort of thing. They're describing like, like big problems that just are not addressed by trying to lose 10 pounds, you know, uh, counting your calories, isn't going to get you any closer or farther from, from those things. It's deeper than that. Mm. Yeah, that's a great answer. I love that. I also think, I think of it this way, you know, if a client pays me for an hour, yes, you're getting this time, you know, that I have with you and we can talk and, and, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what exercise to do make sure you don't get hurt. I'll count to 12. <laughs> you can tell me about your kids and whatever, but I, right. I see it. If you're a good trainer, you're also, you know, when you pay for that one hour, you're paying for the other 23 in, in the day, like the trainer should be taking care of themselves. They should be getting really good sleep and good nutrition. They should always be learning and striving and trying to get new information to help that client get their goals. Absolutely. My, some of my clients will say that, that after they work with me for a while, it's like they have a little Alex on their shoulder. And I, th- <laughs> I think of this from a psychological perspective. One of the things that's true about my story, and I'd be curious to, to know about yours if we get the opportunity to talk about it. One of the things about my story is I had to coach myself in a time when I didn't have people to coach me through the trauma and the poverty and all those things. And, and even rehabilitating Ehlers-Danlos injuries before I knew what they were, you know. That, that is a hard fought 
skill that the mastery of coaching oneself is a hard fought skill. And that's internal in me. It's natural. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody, but it's a skill just like somebody who knows how to invest intelligently in the stock market. I do not. Just like somebody who knows how to fix my car. I, I know enough to change the oil, bro. But, like, <laughs> but if my transmission goes out, I have no clue what in the world needs to happen to, to put that puppy back together. And, and that said, that skill is something that when my clients work with me long enough, it is something that they start to internalize. They start to internalize, you know, the quote unquote little Alex on my shoulder. Alex would say that this would be a better choice at this restaurant than this. Alex would say, if my back hurts like this, I shouldn't do squats today. Alex would say, hey, get off your lazy butt and go for a walk. And instead of watching Netflix for the next hour, you know, go for it. <laughs> like, um, what, whatever it is, there's, there's like an internalization. And we do that with people who are in, we're in relationship with you and your wife. If I remember correctly, you guys have been married for five years. Is that right? Four. Yeah. Good guess. Four. Nice. Nice. Uh, and, and my wife and I, we've been married for six. And so yeah, that's right. like, I, I, I don't know Jack about dressing myself. Like that's probably one of the reasons I walk around with a shirt off all the time. I don't, I don't know what shirt to wear. So like I, I joke, I don't have to buy clothes if I look good without them. Like what's the, that's a cost saving thing. That's great. Um, it, that argument doesn't hold water with my wife, but cause she likes clothes. And so, so, you know, I, I will walk into my closet and go, Hmm, you know, we're going to church on Sunday and I don't have any sense of what pants go with what shirt. So I think, Hmm, what would Kristen like tell me to wear? And like, you know, jokes on me because I'm I made it past thirty and I can't dress myself. But at the <laughs> same time, I've I've internalized my wife's opinion, right? And in the same way, when you're a good coach, that's what happens: is your your clients begin to internalize your opinion with regard to their health and fitness choices, and 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 maybe it's not it's not perfect, but it's another voice in their corner you know, when they could be staying up later than they should, or when, you know, maybe their entire family on the 4th of July is, you know, eating all the cake they can eat and all the beer they can drink. There's, there's a voice that's encouraging the best in them as you have in your, your coaching. And that's, that's something that carries past that one hour session, right? Is, mm. is you can do this, you got this, this is, this is so important to you. This matters to you. Keep manifesting your best. I'm so proud of you. Excellent job. Like people don't hear very much encouragement on a regular basis. And so that's something that, that encouragement in training can do for somebody is to embody that, that voice that speaks better of them. I love that. What a cool thing to be able to say about yourself that you were able to influence somebody that way. It's just, it's so awesome mm -hmm. and empowering. When were you always like entrepreneurial? Would you say like, when did you start to think about like going off on your own and what challenges did that present versus working for a major company? Uh, yeah, good question. You know, by, by personality, I'd prefer to just do what I'm good at and not have to worry about the business side of things, honestly, like by, by personality, you know, that's, that's, and so I was very happy working for a large corporation, training people, educating people, um, and, and doing good on that front at the same time. There's a there's a part of me that wants to explore a different way to do things. And so in the training world, one of the things that I saw was that the the health and fitness community, the health and fitness uh, economy, if you will, the money that was in health and fitness was not necessarily about people achieving their best. 
let's take the real estate gym industry, for example, when you come into a gym setting and they're like, oh yeah, we have the best equipment and we have the best people and we have the best programs and we're going to help you achieve your, you know, long-term health and fitness goals. At the end of the day, their bottom line is not affected by whether or not you achieve your goal. It's just not, you are a tenant renting the space so that they can make money on the appreciation of the real estate. And I, I know that sounds like a really cynical view, but it's it's money is a thing. Uh, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's something that's really powerful in the the gym setting. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a member of a gym. I like to go work out there, but I don't expect me paying money to them to guarantee my results because I know what I'm doing. I'm renting access to their equipment so I can go do the hard work and I don't have to bring all that equipment into my backyard, right? So at at the end of the day, one of the things that I saw in the health and fitness space was a disconnect between what was making the money and what people were actually hoping they were buying. And I didn't like that. I didn't like the idea that my paycheck was coming from the, well, the renting of a space. I didn't want to, I wouldn't, didn't do health and fitness for real estate. I did health and fitness because, you know, I wanted to, my paycheck to be tied to whether or not somebody was actually achieving what it is they were paying me to achieve. And so that, uh, that was actually the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I started a podcast the company I was working with did not like the fact that I started a podcast. And so after eight years of uh, stellar service and, and getting accolades and whatnot, they, they fired me and I had to decide whether or not I was going to go work for somebody else or build my own company. And so I built my own company Wow! and it's been good. It's been very good. That's amazing. So what challenges, I mean, starting your own company, that must've been very difficult, especially with a, you know, up and coming family and you'd just gotten married. Like, what was that like? What challenges did you face initially starting up your own thing? And was that, was that hard? Was that scary for you? It was so hard. It's so scary. I <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, man, if it, if it wasn't for that, that tension and being fired, I'd probably still be working for that company because the, the idea of, you know, providing for my family as a single income household and, and raising kids and being married and doing all that well and juggling that in this very strange world we live in, I, I would have preferred not to have to manage that while I was also trying to help people you know, get better. <laughs> but, but that, that said, I, I told my wife, I was like, all right, look, we've got some money in savings. Give me 90 days. Give me 90 days to show you the business books that I can, I can provide what we need working for myself. And so she gave me 90 days and, and, you know, that's an important thing in a marriage is to be able to butt heads like that and, and have a plan and, and say, all right, like you, you got 90 days. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> and, and, you know, she's in a particularly vulnerable place being a stay at home mom. And, and she's a dietitian by trade. It's not like she's not well-educated and can't make ends meet herself, but, but that's something that we as a family decided was that I was going to work and, and she would make sure our kids had a good stable start. So anyway, that was scary. It was very difficult. And the major challenge was, was building the plane while I flew it is, <laughs> 
kind of, you know, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I have to take payments now. Like crap. What, what system do I need to take payments with? Cause I have to have a way for people to give me money. That's not just like, you know, cash in an envelope. Right. So, um, and then, and then there's the marketing and then there's the social media and then there's taxes, dear God. So there's, there's all <laughs> these things that, that you, you have to figure out. And for, you know, what that's say a good two years of being in business for myself. I was building the plane as, as I flew it. And, and thankfully it was in the spirit of, of what it is I'm trying to do in the world. And, and it was high integrity and it paid the bills. So everything's been, been great. That's great. There's so much wisdom in that though, man. Like, like I, I think one of the most beneficial things we gained from that experience is almost like the yet mentality of like going into running your own business after you've been in a very highly competitive world for a long time, you kind of realize like, yeah, I don't know how to do accounting, but I can learn. Yeah. I don't know how right. to do marketing, but I can figure it out. I can make a website. I've never done that, but you learn as you go. I love the the concept of like building the plane as you fly. It's kind of funny, but it, it's absolutely true. Yeah. And uh, you know, I had the the great privilege of getting to know several CEOs of, of smaller startups kind of in this process, you know, podcast interviewing, I'm sure you've, you've experienced the opportunity to, I, I love conversation but you also get so much wisdom speaking with people about their stories and stuff. And that's actually a term that I got from a CEO of, a, of endomedical. He was like, you know, I'm just going to be honest here. We're building the plane as we're flying it. Like, and, and I don't know why that like stuck in my head so much, but it was like, yeah, like if that doesn't describe business perfectly, like being, at the, <laughs> being in the front seat, you're like, you're like the pilot. And then you're like, all right, don't move. I'll be right back. We need another wing. Like, <laughs> so, so you're, you're just like, you know, you know, have, you have a lot of flaming pins in the air and you're trying to make sure they all stay up, but that, uh, that it's, it's so true. And it's also, I don't know about you, man, but I do my best work under the gun like that. It's, it's like, you don't have a choice. So it's Occam's razor. You have to make things work the way they need to work without, worrying about too much the best way to do it you just how how things need to be done right now yeah. and and then after you or at least for me after i established myself relatively well and bills were paid and babies were fed and everybody was happy then i could actually think about what the future looked like what does it look like to to grow this in a way that's beneficial and positive and good for for more people Mm. And think about handing out complimentary peanuts on the flight. <laughs> ah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got peanuts and we got drinks, but it's all organic and there's no alcohol. <laughs> <That's great>. And <laughs> it's green tea and ginger on our plane. <laughs> that's so. awesome. Tell me a little bit about why you chose fatherhood and dads as a theme for where you wanted to um, put most of your content. Yeah, good question. In in the initial, you know, building my own business and stuff. I wanted it to be something I was deeply passionate about so that I didn't, not only did I not have a choice, but it was also something I would enjoy. And so I was becoming a father myself. And I say I was becoming any dads who are listening, know what that's like. You don't know how to be a dad. You learn every day. You learn every day a little bit better how to be a dad and how not to be a dad, you know? And if you had a great role model or example, maybe you can model them and and you should be very thankful because that's a blessing. But that said, I had a, had a two-year-old and fatherhood hit me in the face like a ton of bricks. You know, I was excited that he was coming, but I also realized that all the things I thought I was trying to figure out in my young adulthood better sure as shit snap into place. Uh, forgive my French, because it was just like, 
you know, I don't have time right now before my baby comes to, to figure out all the things I haven't figured out. I, I have, you know, he's here and whether or not I influence him well is on me now. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it hit me like a ton of bricks and I'll never forget. I was driving home from work there in Colorado. He was about six months old. And do you have kids, Casey? No, not yet. We're working on it. Okay. So <laughs> nice. Keep up the good work. Wink, wink. <laughs> Thanks. Um, practice, practice makes <laughs> perfect. Right. So, <laughs> so that, uh, that I, I don't want to scare you so we can have a conversation offline about this, but it crushed me like sleep deprivation and, the you know, your, your wife doesn't want anything to do with you for a little while, by the way, she gets all her oxytocin from the baby. So you, you didn't know that, but I'm telling you, and <laughs> Yeah, like there's all kinds of stuff that comes with a new baby. So let's just say the baby phase is not my favorite, but I was driving home from work and man, I I just felt like a shell of my former self. You know, I didn't know who I was and like, it was just a weird, weird mixture of feelings and stuff. And I stopped at the gas station and bought s'mores pop tarts at 8 PM. Okay. And, and s'mores pop tarts are, they're like, mana from heaven, but they're from hell right now. <laughs> you feel me, right? Okay. So from a nutrition perspective and, and don't get me wrong, you know, s'mores pop tarts after leg day are, are great for your recovery process. If you're listening to this for hypertrophy, <laughs> but, but the, the, for me at 8 PM, it was, I'm hungry. I'm unhappy. I'm depressed and I need to pick me up. And that's not me, bro. I've been living in the health and fitness space for a long time. It's not Alex Van Houten to stop at the gas station and eat at s'mores pop tarts. Okay. So I'm eating s'mores pop tarts on the way home. And I'm like, who the hell am I even? And I'm looking forward to a bourbon when I get home. And, and like, this isn't me, this isn't the dad I want to be. What is going on with me? And so I get home and I'm not happy. And you know, the baby's crying and he finally goes to sleep. And my wife is like, are you ready to go to bed? And I'm like, no, I've, I've got a problem. I got to hash it out. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And so she's like, okay. So she goes to bed and, and I start researching fatherhood depression because that's what it felt like. And, you know, I'd read the little books about postpartum depression and how dads get sympathy depression and all that. And I'm like, nah, this isn't it. You know, my wife's not depressed. There's nothing wrong with her. She's pretty resilient. Like what? She's a beast. Awesome. Way to go, mom. But but for me, it was a really hard transition. And I started finding research on testosterone following childbirth and it blew me away. I thought I'd read all the dang books, dude. And there was a huge study in the Philippines, uh, back in 2009, I want to say, uh, somewhere around 6,000 participants. And what they found was a really robust change in dad's testosterone upon having a child wow. in the first six months of the child's life. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. On average, a, a man's testosterone dropped to one third of what it was before the baby. And it didn't rise to age normal levels again until their youngest child was four. Wow. So, uh, dude, it, the hair on my neck was standing up. It was like 1 a.m. and I was like crying at my computer. I'm like, Holy God, this is what's happening to me. Like, and, 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 you know, it wasn't like I was crying about my testosterone. It's testosterone is deeply tied to a man's mental well-being, how aggressive you feel, how confident you feel, how, how well your libido shows up, how strong you are in a bench press, like all this stuff. And I had never read this before. And I feel like I was a well-read individual. Why the heck had I never read this before? And so I started saying, to people, 
I'm going to redefine the dad bod because this was the biological basis for dad bod. This is a man's testosterone drops to a third of his normal. And now he's depressed. He's eating snacks and s'mores and drinking bourbon to try to bring his serotonin and, and dopamine up. And, you know, and all of a sudden you've got a beer belly and your kids are like six and seven. And you're like, you know, back in my day, I was real sporty. And I was like, that's not me. I'm going to figure this out. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to figure this out because I, that's not the dad I want to be. And so that's, that's actually the, what started the whole defining dad bod thing was, was I was really passionate about how can I become the dad I'd like to be. And I found that, Hey, other men had never heard this before either. So how can I help them on their journey? And that's, that's what really started that. I love that. What an amazing story. It's funny. I don't think it's actually funny, but you know, like people throw around the term dad bod. Like it's just this thing that is, you know, mm. it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Ha ha. You're, you know, you have that, that, you know, beer belly at age 28 or whatever. Like how do you want people to think about that term? Uh, th thank you for that question. I've been doing this for like three years and nobody asked. So Perfect. here it goes. <laughs> thank you for that question. <laughs> The, the, the first thing is dad bod is not just a physical phenomenon. It's not just like how you appear in the mirror to yourself, you know, the balding beer bellied caricature of a man who used to be athletic. It's not that it's one of the things about dad bod that I, I want to change. And I hope resonates because of what I've done with my work thus far is that men start seeing their physical body as something that they're passing on to their children. You're learning to manifest the best in yourself and your physical body reflects how high integrity you approach that, that battle in your own life. You know, Ehlers-Danlos, I have a lot of reasons to lay on the couch, never get up again and take lots of pain pills, but I want my body to reflect my positive struggle and my boys are not gonna do what I say they should do. They're going to do what I do. And so, Dad bod can be this thing where you pass on a positive, powerful ethos to your children. And, you know, hopefully if everybody did that, even to a small degree, then every generation would get healthier and healthier rather than sicker and sicker, which is the current trajectory of things. So I, I want dad bod in, in one aspect to mean the, the ownership of one's own physical struggle such that it passes on something positive and powerful to your kids. And that, uh, that's, that would really be like the, the deep core aspect of it. And I could say a few other things, but I would like your thoughts on that. No, I love that. I think that's great. I, I wonder how that shines through in the way that you raise your kids, because I think, I think a lot of people would say that like, it's just, it's going to be really difficult, very challenging, borderline impossible to raise children in a more healthy way, eating food that, you know, will help them develop. You know, I think a lot of people would think that you're just, you're just up against it. Like they're going to go to their neighbor's house, they're going to eat all the cakes and, you know, they're never going to exercise and they're going to be addicted to their screens. Has it been a challenge for you to raise your children in the way that you wanted to? You know, it's a, uh, it's the wrestling, um, that, uh, Israel is the name for God's people. And the, the name Israel means they who wrestle with God. And mm. I think that's, that's something deep in, in parenthood is that there's no, 
parenthood's challenging inherently. Like it's a monumental responsibility to influence the next generation. It's also monumentally meaningful, even despite some of the very difficult things that you'll face doing it. But it's a wrestling. It's a constant like push and pull, give and take. I'll take uh, 4th of July, for example. We are hardcore about our children's bedtimes. Uh, I don't need to harp on your show. I'm sure there are other shows on your show that you can point your, your people to or other episodes about how important sleep is, especially for a developing brain. And so for our kids, 7 p.m. is the cutoff. And, you know, they're hella early risers. So I'm up at 5.30 in the morning with my, with my <laughs> kids every day because women on average need more sleep. And so gentlemen, if you'd like to have a happier wife, let her sleep longer and that would be good. But that said, the the bedtime thing is really robust. Well, it's 4th of July and 7 p.m. There's no fireworks going on at 7 p.m. And so our, our son, Gabriel, our oldest, he's about to turn six and we're like, yes, you can stay up and watch fireworks. But what's important about that is the next day we made sure that he had time to, to grab a nap. Right. And there's, there's a push and pull there. So similarly, you go to the grandparents' house, you have too much screen time and a lot of sugar. What does that mean? Well, when you come home, we have some activity to do to kind of get that sugar out of your system. You're not going to get the same amount of sugar as you usually do in the day, whether it's healthy fruit sugars or not healthy fruit sugars. We're just going to forego any treats today, right? And similarly, we're going to be more active and there's no reason you need to watch TV today, right? Um, all of those things are, are wrestling. It's a push and pull of, of being present in what is going on in your kids' lives and then seeing how you can best help them balance that. And then I, I'd like to kind of rewind to the other point, which is the monumental obstacles. It is difficult to manifest better in yourself every day, whether it's mind, body, or spirit. It's difficult. That said, most of our children have never seen us fail before. Like uh, when I say that, I mean, dad's we're, you know, we're happy and confident showing them the things we're good at and they, whether or not we deserve it, they idolize us. But when you can bring your children into your difficulty, into something that you're trying to improve, then they get to watch how dad manages the difficult things. And that makes them more resilient and more gritty. And so uh, my, my call to parents in general is, is look, you're going to fail at this thing. And that's good. Show them how to get up and, and come back to the table and do it again better. Because that, I mean, that's, if you can pass anything on to your kids, that'll, if they can get, get up, dust themselves off and try again, maybe a little better this time, just like you're going to in your health and fitness journey, then man, you've made it. Like that's it doesn't amazing. even matter what, what protein you have in your fridge. Like that's the thing. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so well said. How do you maintain your relationship with your wife while bringing kids up into the world? Because I think a lot of people can get really distracted with their kids and have their own relationship with their significant other kind of deteriorate. Well, we're, we're not trying to make any more babies, but we still practice. So that I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it, it's such a good question. I appreciate that because my relationship with my wife is one of the reasons I can show up well for my clients. It's, you know, she and I together make each other better than we would be without each other. I think that's the definition of a positive and powerful relationship is you can, you have two brains. If you, if you navigate that space well and communicate 
well. And, and so you show up better in the world than you would without each other. So it's, it's really important to me to do this well, especially from a business perspective. There's a lot of very successful businessmen who are kind of womanizers and whatnot. And I don't, I don't want to be that. Uh, I don't want to be, that's not what I want to be 20 years from now, you know, is this guy who sleeps around with random front desk people because I'm a wealthy CEO of, and I'm not saying that I'm here for, material success on that front, but it's important to me to cultivate that relationship with my wife. So our, our big thing is we, we have a few things we do in our relationship. We talk about everything. And once a quarter, we, we have like a sit down Van Houten family household health meeting, (laughs) like (laughs) all of the things what's going on with our kids, what's going on with our finances, what's going on with our business, what's going on with our community. Uh, You know, what, what do we need to be looking out for over the next um, 90 days. And it sounds really like official and businessy. It's not, we usually do it, uh, in a, in a hot bubble bath. And like, that's, there, there you go. That's another pro tip, by the way, you want to, you want to be stuck in a place that's relaxing and, and good for your wife. And then also gives you a good arena to talk about things and you can't get up and run away. Uh, a bath is a great place. Bubble for bath, that. Great. <laughs> Love bubble it. bath, man. You're facing each other, maybe a good glass of red wine, if that's your thing. Um, and that, uh, it goes really well, but Uh, The other thing is at the end of every day, you know, having a kid's bedtime set really well is a nice thing for you as parents, because you can have more time. You don't need as much sleep as your kids. They need 12 to 14 hours. You probably need seven to nine, depending on, on, you know, what stage of development you're in and how recovered you are. (laughs) And so if, if they have a good robust bedtime, then, then there's time for for you and the missus thereafter. And then the last thing I'll say is we're really diligent about uh, having our children spend time with their grandparents and, and hiring a babysitter when we need to go on a date and, and that sort of stuff. And nobody's going to plan that for you. So if you're a business owner and you're trying to manage that well with your, your spouse, you got to make time just like you have to make time for pursuing your, your physical betterment. Mm, love that. That's very well said. Also, you have kind of been drawn to this, uh, 1% better concept, which I love. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the better daily app and program and how that came to be? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ethos of, of better daily is, is really just I've been obsessed with it. I'm probably annoyingly obsessed with it, but the, the ethos is who you are now and the power of consciousness to act on your biology means that you could become better. And it means something different for everybody. And the nice thing about 1% is that's not too much, you know, maybe you can do more than that, but it's not too much to say, what about me right now is something I can, I can affect. And, uh, again, I'll steal this from Jordan Peterson. He encourages people to sit on the edge of their bed and, and it's kind of like praying a prayer. It's like, what am I doing that I need to stop doing that I'm willing to stop doing that would be better. And, and similarly, what am I not doing that I need to start doing that I'm willing to start doing that would be better. And if, if you start there and you actually like, cause it could be hard. It could be like, I need to start going to bed early. Well, man, that might mean you need to talk to your wife about watching I don't know. Dynasty is that the new soap opera on Amazon right now? Anyway, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, you need to talk to your wife about whether or not we're watching that at 10 p.m. Because 
you know, nine thirty is the new bedtime. And, and so there's, there's a push and pull that has to happen there. Or similarly, you're, you're trying to cut sugar out of your life, but what are we going to do about graham crackers for the kids? Because they call your name at 8 PM after a long day of not eating sugar when you're used to it. Right. So, so that said, there's, there's a push pull in this 1% better sense, but there's, there's, there's no condition under which that it's not possible. That's a biological thing. Is, is that biology allows us to adapt to things that are stressful. Biology allows us to improve uh, because it, <laughs> in biology's sense, it, it's good for us to not die anytime soon. So, <laughs> so the, you know, we're, we're wired to keep improving. And, and anyway, so it's, it's so accessible and it's permeated a, a lot of what I do on a regular basis, but the application came out of COVID. So when, uh, you know, the lockdowns first started and gyms were shutting down and people were scared and all that stuff. You know, it was, it was deeply impressed on me. I feel that this is not a time for us to get less healthy. This is not a time to cut out your exercise regimen. It's not a time to eat, you know, rice and beans, which I mean, if that's all you got fine, but, but, you know, we can do better than that. Um, and, because it seemed to me that a healthy, strong, powerful population would be better against a pandemic than a, you know, weak, cowering, lack of strength, lack of cardiovascular endurance having population would. And so I was thinking like here in my little corner of the world, what can I do that would foster this? What can I do that would bring people together? What, what could I do that would support them in improving? What could I do that would help people not feel so isolated? during this time. And so I ran a challenge that I called the faithful 40 challenge, which was 40 days of publicly journaling your mindset, your nutrition, and your exercise. Um, so what, what mindset am I bringing to the table today? And it could be something as simple as I'm stubborn, <laughs> stubbornly going to do this thing, or I really don't want to get out of bed, but here I am, you know, or <clears throat> uh, maybe Bible verses. There are many people who posted things like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what's your mindset? Nutrition, what did you eat yesterday? Post that publicly in a food journal. And then exercise, what's your plan today for activity and exercise? Um, and so I had people post that publicly for, for 40 days and quite a few people on my social community and got involved and stuff. And I I just meant it as like a, you know, we're going through this pandemic thing. Here's something to do that isn't about masks and isn't about vaccines and isn't about where you can or can't go. We're just doing what we can. We're controlling our controllables. Right. And what came out of it was just people made friends and they got better. And they were like, man, I, I rely on this. I rely on waking up in the morning and seeing other people's mindsets. So I'm not down in the dumps and anxious and all that stuff. And I was like, holy crap, like, cool. How do we do more of that? How do, how do we use the social media space? How do we use our phones to upgrade our screen time in a way that improves our lives at large? And so that's what Better Daily came out of is I got with a company called Disciple Media and worked with them to de develop this app because I'm not a programmer. I don't know jack crap about you know, changing font sizes on an app or anything. I just, I just knew that this needed to exist. And so we launched it back in November and it's been awesome. It's been a, a very powerful force in a lot of people's lives to improve themselves. And what's really cool is it's kind of like walking through the doors of the gym. You know, that guy might be doing curls in the squat rack, but he's here. 
And that's more than I can say about the average person I brush shoulders with at Walmart, you know, is he's, he's here trying to get better. Mm. And that's, that's the thing about this app is, you know, you can open Facebook and who knows who's there, you know, but, but you open, you open better daily. And the people who are there have put money down and said, look, it's important to me to become 1% better. And it's important to me to be in community with people who are becoming 1% better daily. And so uh, that's really what, what we're about. We do workshops and challenges and, and lives and daily themed posts and all kinds of stuff in there. So it's a, it's a powerful place to be, but that's, awesome. that's really where it came from. Huh, that's awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask how you were working with people these days. So mostly like virtual forums like that. Uh, I do, do a little bit of everything. I have a virtual coaching platform through defining dad bod. Uh, we have our, we have our community in better daily. And then I still take clients. I, I built a garage gym and I have a few local clients that I meet with on a regular basis that I just, there's something about the, the being in person thing that although you can do powerful things virtually, the in-person thing is, is something altogether different as well. So, mm. um, I, I work with people on each of those levels. That's super cool. That 1% thing is so real. I mean, I think back, remember when like Fitbits were getting big and everybody was doing like step challenges, um, yes. maybe like 2013, 2014, I just decided like, cause I was doing step challenges against other people that I could get more steps if I parked at the far end of a parking lot. And I learned over yeah. time that like, maybe I'll save a little bit of time and I, I walk more, maybe get an extra 500 steps. Well, guess what, dude, that was like, that was like eight years ago. And I still park at the far side of the parking lot just out of habit and think about how many yes. miles and miles and more time in fresh air and nature. And it was a very small change that then became a habit and now became something very meaningful, but it, it all started from just a very small little change. And I think people think they want to climb this mountain and it looks so difficult, but they don't realize you're not climbing anything any, until you put one foot in front of the other. you got to start. And I think it's such mm. a cool theme with everything that you've done and you've learned in your life. It, it, it does. It just seems to shine through and everything that you've done is super cool. Um, before I let you go, I want you, this is something you've alluded to a few times. I know this is something that's very important to you. I want you to tell us a little bit about the importance of faith in your life and what that's meant to you. The faith thing has been quite the, quite the journey, probably its own podcast in itself. But, you know, the... I have been one, I resonate so well with that, that definition of Israel, the, the people who wrestle with God, he who wrestles with God, because my life has been very wrestly, I'll say, and, and God and I have an interesting relationship in which I'm, I work hard to seek the truth and I work hard, hard to seek the, the spirit of betterment, so to speak. And at the same time, it's not an easy thing to find. It's not an easy thing to commune with and, and, and connect with. And so for me, faith kind of undergirds all of the things that I do from a physical perspective. And I'll give you an example of what that looks like. You know, um, I thought <laughs> this is kind of funny back in, I haven't said this on a podcast before, so this will be good. Great. Back in the old Testament, you know, people, people used to give burnt offerings. You know, that was one of the ways that, that the, you know, people in the old Testament believed that their sins could be covered by, by, you know, uh, a repentance of seriousness. It's like, look, I'm, I'm going to put this animal in my place and, and, and offer something that God will find pleasing so that 
I could also psychologically remember my commitment to not doing this thing that I wasn't supposed to do all over again. Right now we don't do that anymore. We don't go sacrifice goats. Right. But, but at the same time, I have found something similar in the health and fitness space in that, you know, uh, the uh, the dark side of it is I'm going to earn my donut by going for a three mile run. Right. I have to make this sacrifice, but even more internally than that, that's the dark side of things, even more internally than that. I see, um, you know, for me and my, my Ehlers-Danlos journey, trying to figure out how to manage life with, with pain and joints that don't work right and stuff, sometimes going for a run is like a burnt offering. It's saying, look, I, I can't do a lot of things in my life to improve, but I am doing this thing. I'm, I'm laying this offering. And what's kind of fun is, is that's actually the combustion reaction at the level of the cell is we consume food right? And that breaks down eventually to pyruvate and eventually to uh, a carbon-based fuel. And it adds to uh, oxygen in the mitochondria to yield water and carbon dioxide. So you have fuel plus oxygen yields carbon dioxide and water. And what is that? It's literally burning. That's what it is. It's a combustion reaction. It's burning. And so uh, I, I, in my own practice, running up some big hill somewhere, I'm thinking this, this is my offering. This is me stepping in faith, even though it hurts, even though it's not easy, even though there are other things I'd like to be doing with my time. Sometimes this is good and, and it makes me better. And so, uh, for me, faith is deeply integrated with what I actually do with my own body. And we could talk a lot about some of the science that is coming out about how artificial intelligence and consciousness is, is integrated into the embodied being, but that's probably in conversation for another day. So <laughs> well, we all, all that to say, I, I, I teach Bible studies. I, I like to use a lot of religious language in my coaching, even though I'm, I, I work with people who aren't Christians and stuff, but at the same time, I, I think that, uh, the the physical improvement of of the temple of your body is something that also improves the spirit and and it's it's a mistake not to not to see that connection well. Mm, I couldn't agree more. Man, this just means we're going to have to invite you back to talk again sometime if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I'll talk to you anytime. You're you're a great host, and I appreciate the time to talk to you. Well, you're a great guest. We've learned so much from you. If you were to leave the listener with one takeaway from this conversation, Alex, what would that one thing be? Uh, man, to the listeners at large, I'd say start small and get better. And to the dads listening, I would say, look, man, your testosterone's tanked. Get enough sleep. Get some ginger in your life. Get a, acquire a taste for sardines because omega threes are wonderful for you. And if you need to know more about that, I've got a whole podcast on how to fix yourself so that you show up well for your kids, your family, and your community. I love that. Great answer, Alex Van Howen. Where would you like people to go to connect with you and find you and your work? Yeah, like I said, the the dads can go find the Defining Dad Bod podcast. I've got. A lot of episodes, hundreds of hours of content, anything that you're interested in for for dads and fitness and health is there, even for moms, but that's more dad focused. I don't, I don't presume to tell moms how to do their job well. <laughs> <laughs> that's very wise. Very, very wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good w- words of wisdom, I hope. Uh, but but also, from if you want to connect with what we're doing now, because Defining Dadbot is really the, the past structure of, of what we're 
what I've worked to build for dads and, and coaching them and whatnot. But if you're interested in what we're doing now, especially in the, the community of Better Daily, then you can find the Better Daily app. And I will send you a link to drop in the show notes, Casey, for your listeners so that they can connect with that app and also get 25% off for sticking wow. it with us in this this particular episode. That's awesome. Wow, thank you so much. That's so super generous of you. We will definitely link that in the show notes. Alex, dude, so great to catch up with you and learn a little bit more about your story. Um, you, you know, you know when you just you know somebody, you just you connect with that person. You, you know they're your friends, like from the beginning. I've always felt that with you. You've, you're such a good person. I, I see the care and the desire to help people. I know that is what your internal motivation is. And I just love, you know, working with you over the years and getting to talk with you today. I love your podcast. It's wonderful. You have great content. And I'm just so grateful for everything that you've done and the message that you share. So thank you so much for all of that. And thank you for appearing with us today. Thanks, man. Keep up the good work. And to your listeners, until next time, guys kick butt. I love it. (laughs) Love it. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.